It's a delightful opportunity that we have this morning, and it's certainly a great blessing that each of us have been given the capability of health today, the opportunity to assemble on this lovely and beautiful Lord's Day morning that the God of heaven has fashioned and made. And isn't it true, of course, that the God is so powerful that he doeth all things well? And as we look about us, how rich indeed are the privileges that are ours. And certainly as we think about the opportunity to open his word and to be challenged by it and to make whatever changes we might need to make concerning the matters we'll discuss today, it truly is an enriching and a challenging exercise. And I hope that we'll each be uplifted as we think today about thermometers and thermostats. I've entitled that lesson, hopefully, in such a way to capture the attention and to perhaps make one wonder what shall be the discussion, what shall be the theme, and that which is primarily set forth. I hope that as we think about matters relating to those two, those two entities, that we will in fact see that there are some things in them that the Word of God teaches that you and I need to know very well and to implement in our life day by day. By way of introduction, as we've made note of the blessing that is ours, isn't it interesting that Jesus, so often in his teaching, had the opportunity and in fact the blessed privilege of using something ever so common to capture the attention of those to whom he spoke and to in fact embed in their mind a lesson, perhaps even a set of lessons, that they would not soon forget. To pick two common ones, there was that scene in which he simply spoke about a person who sowed seed. And as common as that was in that day, it still is relatively understood well by us. And as we notice, the seed fell in various places. The Lord used that to teach about the character of the heart and the state of one's life and how receptive he would be then to that word which had been spoken and delivered. As another example, something as simple as fishing. Many of us enjoy that from time to time, and yet the Lord specifically told those disciples, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men, Matthew 4, 19. Thus, today, might I ask, can we use something as common and as familiar as a thermometer, even a thermostat, to help us understand some vital lessons from the Scriptures as well? That certainly is my hope. And so, without further ado on that point, let's begin to speak about these things and what they do and what they accomplish and how they work, because it is in that discussion we shall find, in fact, the spiritual lesson that we will discuss for the remainder of the lesson time this morning. We each understand what a thermometer does. In one way or another, it measures the temperature of an object. It is, in fact, is constructed and designed in such a way that it can be used to ascertain the temperature of what is desired to know the temperature of. As you can see, it works by one way or another, in most instances, having a part that becomes the same temperature as what one wishes to know the temperature of. For instance, you take that thermometer and put it in your mouth under your tongue, and the end of that thermometer, that bulb end, becomes the same temperature as your body. So it acclimates, it conforms, if you will, to your body, to its surroundings, as it seeks to find its temperature. Notice, as it bends or conforms its will if you wish to describe it that way, to its surroundings, that's the basic way it works. I've written there upon, upon the screen for you that thus it reflects, or to say that another way, it becomes like its surroundings as it measures the temperature. Now maybe we can look at a quick picture 
two common thermometers that maybe you have one like it at your house. Certainly the one on the right is very much like a common outdoor thermometer that you can see from a distance and notice it being in its surroundings, it will reflect the temperature of whatever the outside is. The one on the left, again, far more likely to be indoors. You may have one on the wall of your living room or perhaps the wall of another room in your house. But notice it again is, is surrounded by those surroundings and it becomes the same temperature by reflecting what the surrounding temperature is. Look back to that other screen again. What does a thermostat do? Perhaps you're in a position where you can actually see a couple of them on the wall in the interior of this building. As you can see by virtue of that description, a thermostat, very much different than a thermometer, is used to regulate or to set the temperature. And it does so, as you can well tell, by adjusting the, the operation of that heating or air conditioning unit to maintain a preset or determined in a prior way temperature. Thus, the two are very different in their operation, aren't they? This bottom one you'll notice, this one adjusts or changes the temperature, whereas the former one, that thermometer, itself changes or becomes like the temperature around it. Another picture might well be in order. These are pictures of common thermostats. Some of the older model ones that you and I may well still see in commonplace on the right. The one on the left is a digital one, not unlike those here in the interior of our building. But might we notice again the basic distinction between them? The thermostat sets temperature. The thermometer adjusts itself to its surroundings to become the temperature of them. One controls, one adjusts to that which has been set. Thinking about those things from that perspective, what are the spiritual lessons in this? I think they'll become a bit clearer the further we go. Let's take them one at a time. First, what about a spiritual or a character thermometer? Let's take the thermometer first. You perhaps appreciate that just as surely as the thermometer becomes whatever it becomes like, whatever it is that's around it, there can be individuals who do the same. I've stated that in ways like this. And might I ask it in terms of questions? Do you or do I tend to mirror or reflect or become like those people that are around us? Do we tend to adjust our thinking to conform the way that we believe and live to what others have told us? If so, we're acting like a spiritual thermometer. We're only adjusting to what our surroundings are already saying. Do you see the consistency therein? Do you see the likeness of the description? Again, do you and I conform our belief, the way we think, the way we conduct, the way we behave ourselves to what others around us are doing? If so, we are basically a spiritual thermometer. I might ask you to consider, perhaps in a more direct way, these thoughts. Do we allow that which is around us the world, the culture, the society to determine what I think is right or wrong? Do I allow my society and my surroundings to go so far as to determine and dictate for me what is wrong and what is right? 
If so, I'm just like a thermometer, adjusting myself to the whims and fancies of the society and to the, my surroundings, and I am thus reflecting and conforming to what the society is saying. As you notice near the middle of that screen, this idea is certainly not new, and the Scriptures address it on a number of occasions. Let's go as far back as ancient Israel. In Exodus 23, verse 2, what was it that God through Moses affirmed to Israel about being a spiritual thermometer? Now, of course, that word verbatim is not used there, but listen to this text. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Doesn't that sound like a passage directly affirming the error of being a spiritual thermometer? Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Even though those around you, Israel, may have a specific way of living, either in religious matters or otherwise, you do not follow the crowd to do evil. That is to say, you're not to be a spiritual thermometer. Notice in Joshua's farewell address to Israel, as he approached the time of his death and the farewell words that he addressed to Israel in Joshua 23, 7, he again told them, you do not be like the nations round about you. One more time, it was impressed upon Israel in those last words of Joshua to appreciate that you are not to be a spiritual thermometer. Even though the crowd around you, the nations, the vast majority of those peoples in whom you may dwell, though they may have a charge and a character of action, don't be like them. Because if you do, he would later say in that same sermon, you will sorely regret that choice that you made. To perhaps highlight the sadness of the choice, might we of course quickly note Israel did not heed the warnings given to them. They in fact neglected what God had said through Moses, don't follow a multitude to do evil. They neglected what in fact Joshua had shared with them, not being like those round about them. And in fact they did become like them. They adopted the religion. They acted like them. They, in fact, proceeded to live in many ways daily in ways that were much like the nations about them. And thus, in 2 Chronicles 36, 14, we notice as the curtain is about to fall on Judah, the Babylonian army is now standing basically at the very border of the land and they're about to overrun it. Jerusalem is about to be destroyed, God says one final time. Do you know one of the reasons for why this is about to happen? Do you understand one of the reasons why you are in the state you're in? You're about to be conquered. You're about to be hauled off into captivity. Your beloved city is about to be destroyed. That temple to which you've looked for decades is about to be ransacked. One of the reasons why you have done the abominations of the nations round about you. You have let the heathen dictate to you, and you have been a spiritual thermometer. Those are sobering words, aren't they? It's clear enough to see in the Old Testament that God commanded against being a spiritual thermometer. He condemned it. Might we ask about the New Testament? The case in which you and I, of course, find ourselves today. Are you and I in any different situation? I've given you some more passages for us to think about that lead to those New Testament matters. In fact, what does the Old Testament and New Testament alike warn us about as we seek to give consideration to the company we keep? 
After all, aren't we tending to be like those who we spend the most time with and those who we hold the highest regard of friendship? No wonder Proverbs 22, verses 22 to 24, state matters related to don't you be free and or become the closest friendship to men that are angry and men that are furious. Be very careful as you give friendship so closely to one who, in a heated manner, can fly into a rage at the drop of a hat. That's what the Hebrew text states. We all know the carefulness that must be utilized to give our closest friendship to a person like that. For they could turn on us. They could, in fact, in their activity, tarnish and damage our reputation if we spend so much time with them and they fly into a rage like that. Notice furthermore, not only in that text, in Psalm 1, verse number 1, the opening verse in all the book of Psalms, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's the first two verses of that psalm. But note with me what was stated in verse 1. Blessed or happy is the man who does what? Who doesn't stand in the way of sinners? Who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful? Notice there is in fact a statement being made about the choice of one's companions and the character of the way in which one chooses to or not to live. Statements again about spiritual thermometers. It is to be noted of course in all of that that perhaps Paul places the icing on that cake. In 1 Corinthians 15:33, doesn't he? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. It may well be the American Standard even places that in stronger language. Be not deceived, it reads. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. We do greatly error and in fact live with great naiveness. If we think that we can befriend iniquity, live with sin, befriend these who do things that are wrong and not think that that won't rub off or in any way impact us. Paul, again, by inspiration, said, don't be deceived. Evil companionships, evil communications corrupt good manners. So young people, and us as older ones alike, may we be wise in who we choose as our friends, those who we choose to invest a significant amount of our person, because after all, as our friends, we should trust them and be able to share a great depth of companionship with them. But if we understand that they are evil and their mindset is not attuned to the things of God and they have little respect for and consideration of the book of God and the Christ that He sent, then we should appreciate they will not have the highest regard for ultimately who we are and what we stand for. Thus, those warnings only lead us to notice the very text that Brother Colonel read for us this morning. Perhaps no one said it any more strongly than Paul in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. If one thinks about a spiritual thermometer, listen to this verse. He therein in that particular text made this statement. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. There it is, isn't it? 
Be not conformed to this world, but that's what a thermometer does. It conforms to the temperature of what's around it. And Paul therein directly said, don't you be conformed to the world. It seems like we should discuss that a bit more fully. And hence, in the context of that verse, let me define the word conform using the Greek word that's used in that place. I think it's a fascinating matter in a way. Look at the second statement first. That word conform that's used there comes from a derivative word that has reference to a liquid in the sense that it takes on whatever shape that it's poured into. You pour water into a circular bowl and it'll take the shape of a circle. You pour it into a square bowl, it'll take the shape of a square. A liquid will take the shape of whatever you pour it into. That's the same basis for the word that's used here. Don't you take the shape of the place in which you find yourself in the world. Notice the exact meaning of the word. In that context, it means to not allow yourself to be changed, to be like, or to conform to the world around you. The Romans were thus told very strongly in terms of warning concerning the society about them, don't you be a thermometer in the sense that you turn into what others say and what they believe and what they think and allow them as a society to determine what's wrong and right for you. Do not be conformed to this world. Those statements, of course, are exceedingly mighty. And I might make one final statement from that text about the way in which it's presented. Though you and I might not easily appreciate the power of the verb, in the Greek, the verb is actually in the imperative mood, and furthermore, it is a passive construction. And that nature of being imperative means, just like we may have learned in our English classes in the distant past, that's like an exclamation. And it's like a direct command. Do not conform to this world. That has every bit of the strength of a commandment, and we should read it as such. Perhaps as one notes those matters, consider how often some other New Testament passages give us warnings that sound a bit similar to that. Jesus, in Matthew 6, 24, in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, He said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. Notice, just as surely as a thermometer conforms to what's about it, Jesus there said, you've got a choice in the sense that you cannot serve two masters at once. You must make your decision and stand firmly with the master who is the right one. Later, in James 4, verse 4, the inspired writer declared, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. One more time, that one who becomes like that which is about him or her, being like a spiritual thermometer, James says, you've greatly erred. You have become the very enemy of God. Perhaps finally in 1 John 2, beginning in verse 15, as one gives consideration to the world, therein, with one's greatest attraction, John warned, Love not the world, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
That's reading through verse 17 of that same chapter. It would seem so far in our description, we have noticed in strong language that we must not be spiritual thermometers. Perhaps as one final warning, let us give some thought to those who were spiritual thermometers. And what does the Bible say about them? In 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, in one of the last statements the Apostle Paul ever made, he gave note about a gentleman named Demas. And Paul said, he has forsaken me. He loved this present world. He wanted to be more like the surroundings about him. The charge of Christianity was apparently unwilling for him to bear it. He wasn't interested in that. And what about Diotrephes in 3 John 9, in which there we read, He loveth to have the preeminence. Here was a troublemaker in the church, there to which John wrote. This person, in fact, lifted himself, himself up to the point that he cast out those who were not what he wanted them to be. He loveth to have the preeminence. He wanted, you see, others to do what he wanted. He wanted to be the one that was a spiritual thermometer. He wanted all them to behave and to become like himself. Those matters only teach us, it would seem, about the terrible urgency of not being a spiritual thermometer. What about a thermostat? We'll use the latter part of our lesson in a more positive note to turn our attention to thermostats. We have learned that this thermometer adjusts and conforms itself to its surroundings. And in terms of those interested in serving the Lord, they must never do that. But what about a thermostat? Notice, it acts differently. The thermostat on the wall controls the units outside that, in fact, set the temperature inside this room. It is they who maintain it to the preset temperature to which the thermostat is set. Is there a spiritual comparison here? I would submit that there is. In fact, to go ahead and notice the ending conclusion, you and I should seek to be spiritual thermostats. We ought never to be spiritual thermometers. Let's see how that works. The one who is a spiritual thermostat refuses to simply conform to what goes on about him or her. He does not allow the culture and the world to determine what's right or wrong for him or her. He chooses rather to seek by way of a higher authority to set the matters going on about him or her. Notice he seeks to regulate, seeks to set rather than conform to what's going on about him. The matter of this thermostat is exceedingly distinct then, isn't it? What is this standard to which the thermostat is set? John, in John 17, verse 17, wrote it like this. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This spiritual thermostat, you and I are encouraged to be so, is set forth in ways we should thus seek to not only make ourselves, but to make others like this standard. We are thus to act like thermostats. Not conforming to the world around us, but seeking to conform ourselves and the world to what the standard is that has been set. A thermostat. And as we ponder the nature of it, notice that even Israel was encouraged to do this. We've already looked at some passages in which Israel was told not to be a thermometer. They were told to be a thermostat. In Deuteronomy 5.32, 
we notice that all of Israel, Israel was told, you don't veer to the left hand or to the right from what has been delivered to you. Later, as the leader of Israel, Joshua, directly was told, be strong and of a good courage. You, in fact, devote yourself to approaching the law of the Lord, and you deviate not from it to either the left hand or to the right. Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. Thus, notice, there was an authority that had been set, and they were to seek to follow in controlling the pursuit of it, like a thermostat. Not only that, notice some other passages that we read about in that same vein that lead us to see today that isn't it still the same. In Matthew 5.16, there near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in fact, made this statement. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's ponder the statement therein made for a moment. Let your light so shine before men. For what purpose? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Just like the thermostat has dictated and set the temperature in this room, our light spiritually should shine before others that they would be led to appreciate the God whom we serve and they would seek to glorify Him. Like a thermostat, we're helping to influence them. They're not influencing us to do evil. We're influencing them to do good, just like a thermostat. With that thought, consider yet another passage in the same vein. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the closing two verses to that book, we remember the great commission in which the Savior therein said, All authority, all power hath been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Let's notice, you go and teach. Lord, what's the result? Upon teaching, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's subsequent to that? You teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Again, you and I to have the influence upon them, to share with them the blessed message of salvation, and with hopefulness that they would have an obedient heart and a desire to respond in faith. We're to be like thermostats, seeking to, in fact, bring to regulation with the Word of God those about us. First, of course, we seek to regulate ourselves. You and I, serving as examples of all that the Lord delivered, living in a pious, holy, sanctified, godly, righteous way, and seeking to help teach others about that same way of life. Again, not to let them bring us to confirmation with the world, but that we might help teach them and to help regulate in them a life pleasing unto God. These things that we've studied, it would seem race in our mind to two verses found in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 2, we read, read interestingly in verse number 12 of that chapter, a picture that takes us to the very day of judgment. And notice what is it that's described on that occasion. Here, as Peter wrote, he said, that you ought to live, if I may so paraphrase, so that in the day of God's visitation, they, that is, those whom you've influenced, the world that was about you, they will in fact be able to themselves stand on that occasion. 
in such a way to find the favor of God. What does that indicate? That in the day of God's visitation, our teaching, our influence has helped them to become right before God. Notice we've been thermostats. Those who help teach, instruct, and lead others to the way of life, rather than letting them lead us into the way of wrong. In the very next chapter, verse 15 of chapter 3, we find there, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's within you, with meekness and with fear. Ever prepared, just like the thermostat was set. Notice, it had been set long before the 9.30 hour this morning ever came. Because it was set, it was ready to act when the time came. Isn't it the same for us to be th spiritual thermostats? We need to be ready. Thus, having prepared ourselves by study, by learning, by instilling within ourselves the Word of God so that when the time does come, that person asks of us a question, sets a situation before us, we can be ready to instill within them by proper teaching with meekness the character of the Word of God. It's a lovely obligation, isn't it, to be prepared and to be ready. Perhaps just like we looked at some examples before of those who were thermometers, do we find examples in the New Testament of those that were thermostats? I would submit to you near the bottom of that screen, we may quickly look at three. Those who were thermostats. What about John the Baptist? In Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse number 7, what was it the Lord said of him? As Jesus made a description of John the Baptist, he said, What went ye out for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. There's much behind that question. We each understand on a nice breezy day, that hay in a field will just blow whichever way the wind blows it, won't it? It will conform to and reflect the direction the wind is blowing. Jesus said, John is not that way. John is not a reed shaken with the wind. He's a stalwart, uncompromising servant of the Lord. And thus, when you hear his preaching, he is not merely one who's going to reflect the whims and fancies of culture. He's not a, thermost a thermometer. Rather, he's a thermostat. So much so that in Matthew 14, sadly, it cost him his life. He had the boldness and the courage to stand before the ruling authority that day and said, it's not lawful for you to have his wife. You see, King Herod was, was living in adultery. And John the Baptist boldly pointed out to him that the woman you're living with is another man's wife. It's not lawful for you to have her. In his imprisonment, we well remember that finally his head was cut off. But notice, he was a thermostat. He had the boldness to attempt to regulate the proper living about him by the virtue of the Word of God and not to be changed to it himself. He didn't conform to the world. He chose to try to work the world to understand God's revelation. Notice another example. That bold and young person named Daniel in the Old Testament. Young people, if you ever think that you are, have not yet reached an age to which you can be an influence for good, please think seriously about Daniel. Here was a young man who was taken from his homeland, taken into captivity. His parents, in all likelihood, had been slaughtered and killed, and probably he had watched it. He had been forced to. After he was dragged off to this foreign land, did he forsake his God? Did he, in fact, throw up his hands and say, Look what God's allowed to happen to me. I don't wish to serve a God like that. 
Far from it. In Daniel 1 verse 8, Daniel in fact said this. He refused, in fact, we read, to defile himself with the king's dainties. Though far from home, with no family about him, he nonetheless dictated, I will not allow myself to be defiled by the nature of what the king has set before me and what the king's will for me is. Remember, the king had dictated what food he should eat, but Daniel didn't eat it. And neither did his friends, because remember what happened? It was he who, by his faith in the Lord, had said, Let us try this. You give us the food pulse that we will eat. And then in ten days, you check our countenance. And so for ten days, they ate water and vegetables. And guess what happened after the ten-day period? Their flesh was fatter. Their countenance was better. And thus, the power of God working through him aided to influence others in the nature of faithfulness to God. Daniel was a thermostat. Isn't it amazing how others appreciated that fact too? Later in Daniel 6, verses 4 and 5, we notice that when the people of that land were desirous of accusing Daniel of something, the only basis on which they could find to accuse him was this. If we can't find something related to his service to his God, we will have nothing to accuse against him. That's a pretty strong character, isn't it? When you scrutinize a person's life with a fine microscope and the only thing they could find in his life, the only thing they could ever come up with to accuse him before the king was the fact he prayed so often. Oh, if only you and I could live like thermostats that way. What a great influence we could have for others. What a powerful and godly example we would always set. Perhaps finally, what about the example of Paul? In Acts, the 17th chapter, beginning in verse 16, when he came into that city of Athens, known for its idolatry. In fact, so much so, they had gods to everything you could imagine. And just in case they left anybody out, they had a, an inscription, even a deity called the unknown God. Here was a man in the midst of idolatry. Did he give in to idolatry? Certainly not. He delivered a powerful sermon that day, a sermon in which he said, Speaking of that unknown God, I'd like to talk to you about him. And over the next 12 verses or so, he delivered one of the greatest sermons ever preached. He instilled within them, at least in passing, an appreciation for the error of idolatry and the fact that the one God of heaven was the one they need to come to know. As that verse closes, thankfully there were many who did believe and who did obey the gospel that day. A spiritual thermometer. Certainly it wasn't Paul. Rather a thermostat to say the least. And as we close the lesson today, that leaves us with the following questions for ourselves. Which are you? Are you more like a spiritual thermometer? Or are you more like a spiritual thermostat? Do you allow the world, the culture, co-workers, and others to dictate what you think and believe? Or do you allow, thus saith the Lord, to determine that? Do you stand square behind the cross of the Lord and defend it, as Paul did, acting like a thermostat? Or do you sheepishly conform to what the world teaches on any number of evils, but just to make harmony and peace with others? May we ever be careful and remember, spiritual thermometers are condemned, both Old and New Testament. But spiritual thermostats are praised as those servants of the Lord who have directed their life in courage and bravery to what the Lord has declared. This very day, are you a Christian? 
If you've never obeyed the gospel initially, today would be the day that that could take place. In fact, the Lord's invitation is always open, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But this is a convenient time. We're going to stand in a moment and sing a song of encouragement. We'd be happy to aid you in your response publicly to the gospel. You simply would need to believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Believe that with all your heart. Then repent of those sins that, that have clouded your life and have separated you from the God of heaven. At that point, we'd be honored to aid you in confession so that others could hear you say you believe with all your heart Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then we would assist you in being baptized for the forgiveness, for the remission of your sins. If we could help you do that today, what better day could there be? You could thus become challenged and charged to be a thermostat for the Lord every day of your life. If you've become a Christian but no longer are a faithful one, maybe you have allowed the world to conform or make you do too much of what you know you really shouldn't. You've been more like a thermometer than a thermostat. We could help you make that change today. You, upon the determination of your mind, could repent of those errors in your life. As you confess them unto God, we'd be happy to pray upon your behalf that God would forgive you. And 1 John 1, verses 7 through 10 promises He will. If we could be of assistance in that matter or in the former of aiding you in confession and baptism, won't you let that desire of your heart be made known today as you seek to be a thermostat for the Lord? Let us know if we can help while together we stand and while we sing.